This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I am joined by the Hughes. How are we doing today, mate? Very good, mate. I was saying to you, you probably see it now. Uh, I went to get a coffee this morning, got soaked and, and didn't get like another shower when I've come back in. So I'm a bit like a cockatoo on top of here. So <laughs> apologies, apologies to, to the uh, <laughs> yeah, apologies to the YouTube viewers. To yeah. be honest, those that have been with us for a long time will know that we've had this is borderline like a hairdressing um, <laughs> episode here, isn't it? <laughs> Blood red hairdressing channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've had some. Yeah. Be, yeah, we've had much worse than this, haven't we? So, um, yeah. hopefully, people yeah. only tune in to listen to what we have to say about football, anyway. Yeah, don't call the thing down the line. I have a call being called, being called a caveman. I think at some point. Don't have to say for you. Yeah, hopefully. Um, to be honest, mate, I stay away from the comments most of the time. So, but <laughs> I do have a look every now and again. So make sure you're being nice to us because, uh, you know, we do sometimes have a little gander. Yeah. Um, so this week, a little bit between posts in terms of you know where we are, whether we're in last season, whether we're in this season, um, transfers and stuff is not not a great deal happening. Just lots of speculation at the minute. So we're just going to talk about a few things that are just sort of floating around for Liverpool. At the so we'll have a little bit on Liverpool friendlies, not some of the matches, but two standouts in terms of Billy Kumatayo. And me and Brewster. Um, obviously, we're going to look into the charity deal, which I, I can't believe is on Saturday. You know, we, we, we're recording this on a Wednesday. It feels really weird that there's a, a competitive fixture on the Saturday, despite the fact that Liverpool have, I think Arsenal, in fact, have only played one stand in, in this time. So, you know, the schedule's just a bit mental at the minute. And we're, we're probably going to round up the podcast see where we go with it, but we'll, we're probably going to round up the podcast with the talk about Lionel Messi, uh, which I'm admit I did come um, on a Liverpool-related podcast, but, you know, bear with us with that. This isn't going to be us talking about why Liverpool can fit him in and how much yield cost and all this sort of stuff. It's going to be, you know, it does relate a little bit to Liverpool in terms of rivals in particular, that little bit shine and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's football-related, it's Liverpool-related. So, we will get into it at some point. Maybe, depending on the time. Um, maybe it'll talk about Wilder or Thiago or something like that. But to be honest, I'm kind of waiting for that to get a little bit more serious before we talk about that event and does happen. Obviously, we spoke about it a few weeks back. But yeah, the Bulls friends then. So, Billy Kumatel, Dave, do you, do you, I know that you have, you know, in the past attended youth matches and things like that are you, are you previously aware of this lad have you seen him play live or anything like that no actually this is something I was thinking myself when I knew we were going to talk about him um, <laughs> I was trying to think back to if, I, if I'd seen him play and if I have it certainly doesn't stand out I seem to watch a lot of um, youth football you know uh, kind of like 17, 18 18, 19 you know, I remember seeing the likes of Curtis Jones playing a lot and stuff and looking at Gerrard's under-18 side, but I think he's only just in the under-18 side now. And I don't, I'm not even sure if he's a regular in the 23s, but I could be wrong. Maybe someone will correct us. So, no, I haven't seen 
a lot of them actually. Um, all I've seen really is the is the same kind of clips from the friendlies that that we've all seen. But looks a looks a unit, shall we say? Yeah, I mean he looks he looks really good to be honest. Mm. Obviously without getting carried away, but I think Liverpool are really good at doing something. The clock they're really patient with um, you know, when we get like a bit of a odd void or anything like that, and particularly in pre-season, rather than committing a transfer to a certain thing, um, I think Klopp is more inclined to, to basically say, you know, oh, can we address this internally? And if we can, then, you know, we'll do it. And I think I think he's looking at Kumite at the minute as a means of potentially saving a transfer on a level replacement, basically. Um, I think Liverpool have got. If you look at it, actually, Liverpool squad, we've got a lot of potential in the centre back zone in particular. If you think of Van den Berg, who I know you've spoken about in the past this podcast, you got Kiana Hoover as well, and now you've got Kumiteo, who, you know, for me, I think I think Hoover's you know really really good, especially on the ball things like that. I think in terms of Liverpool's game. And what Liverpool and Klopp in particular need from a centre back, I think, despite being seventeen years old, I think Kumatel seems to me as though he suits. He just fits the bill more. I mean, Van Berg's obviously got the hype. It's questionable as to whether he's got the pace. Keanu Hoover, I think the last time I checked, he was about five ten, five foot ten, maybe he's a little bit more than that. But Kumatel's six four, six four makes it a seventeen year old. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it is big, and you think, you know, that at, at that age to to kind of be illustrating not only some real power pace, um, but you know he's got he's got size at that age is quite unique. But I think it's probably worth it, it pointing out at this stage that you know from from what we've seen anyway, you've already said that you don't carry the way, of course. He also just looked really composed and, you know, intelligent, didn't he, in his play? Um, he looked like just a very cool character on the pitch, which is which is fairly fairly rare for a young player. I'd, I'd also put Vandenberg in there as well um, in terms of his kind of composure. You know, I think he'll fill out a little bit more over the next few years and still be a good defender for Liverpool. But, um, yeah, he looked really good for Klopp's comments were interesting afterwards where we said like he, he doesn't look like a kid he said he's got the, the face of a kid but the rest of them the term he used was wow um, this is kind of classic clap really isn't it um, to, be, to be honest you, you say in that it, it takes back to when we attended the, the Statsbone conference mm. um, and he was I think it was it was an Ajax talk it was getting it was a talk of the um, head of sports science I think at and she had pictures of uh, who was it? Justin Clivert mm. and Matthias Delit. And it had their ages, but then it had next to that their actual physical age in terms of where the bodies are at and, st- and that sort of thing, I think it was. Mm. And I think I think Delit, despite being I think eighteen at the time or something, had the body of like a, a twenty-three year old or something like that, I can't remember what it was. And I've heard at the age of about seventeen or so, had the had the the body of about a seventeen year old. So you know, obviously, if 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 you can factor that sort of thing in, you know, it doesn't human tail being six foot four, despite being a seventeen year old, he's obviously got the physique there to mix it with 
with adults, adults clearly. You know, he's probably got the body of of a twenty three year old himself, similar to this. Mm. Well, yeah, because at the end of the day, it's a it's a physical game, isn't it? Um, and that's not to say you can you write off players who are seventeen, eighteen, who are still quite slim and build because you know the natural kind of development as these begin to age, they they will you know fill out and kind of catch up physically. But yeah, when normally those players who um who are kind of at that height build at such a young age. Normally, tend to have a little bit of advantage, and when you've got the advantage physically, you can start, you know, fine tuning other areas of your game, um, and that's why you probably see those players start playing more regularly for the first team a little bit earlier than others, really. Yeah, I think the, for me, the most important trait of a of a club centre back is to, for the player to be dominant. If the if the player is a dominant player. You know, he's, he's got a real chance of being an option to basically. And I think the thing with Kumateo is he's, he's already demonstrating the almost a natural traits of, of being able to be that dominant player. Clearly, early dominance in his, in his first few minutes playing for Liverpool against Stuttgart. I think he cleared he cleared two corners straight away, like Van Dijk does. Um, clearly, physically dominant. He looks quite quick as well for the size. Um, one thing I put on as well, I, I watched all of his actions against Stuttgart, all of his actions against uh, Salzburg. I do not know what his preferred fuss is. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't tell you, honestly. I, I would I guess probably say left foot, but genuinely, really, really two footed. So, considering, as I said, his size, busy aerial dominance, his age 17 years old. Two footed, which means maybe he can play either side. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking at him and thinking, you know, this this is a really, really valuable asset to have. You know, as a centre back, you know, really valuable squad player who's potentially going to be worth quite a lot in him in a few years' time if he if he evolves as you expect him to. Mm. Yeah, I I think it probably could be a little bit too soon this year. Um, you, you, I mean, I could be wrong, by the way. You know, that's just my opinion. He, he may go on to kind of bed into the side this year and finish the year fairly, fairly strong. Um, you know, you have sort other examples of players doing that last season. Um, I think Everton, I thought um, Brathwaite come in. You know, they only brought him 16 or 17 you know, from Carlisle. League two, you're miles off Premier League level, you anticipate, but he ended up coming into the side and being arguably Evans' best defender post-lockdown. Uh, how how think, old is he now? I think he still might be. Um, let's have a look. Teenager still or? Oh, yeah, 100%, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's just turned 18 in June. So, he was. Okay. So you know, you're, t- you're talking just turned 18, you know, playing in the in the Premier League and not just... He believes another one who's, you know, physically well-built, good height, strong, um... And you'd be surprised, you know, the, these kind of really good talents, um, when they have the physicality to go with it, they, they tend to already have the um, the mental aspects of the game in terms of, um, you know, how to play really, you know, how to be positional-wise and stuff. Because uh, most of these players have been in academy since they were, you know, younger than 10, you know, maybe even five or six. Um, so me saying he might not be ready for this year, I don't know, you know, 
he could quite easily end up being the the kind of cover for Lovren, who who departed in the summer. And I don't know if maybe that's the path you were leading down, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that is what I'm saying. To be honest, it depends. Mm. It depends how ready he looks. But I'm just saying, I think I'm particularly focused on the physical side. But he's clearly ready from the physical side for me. Mm. Um, in terms of being able to cope the adult game in the Premier League and that sort of stuff. Um, whether he's actually good enough on the defensive side, and whether he's technically good enough when pressurised and all that sort of stuff is a different story. But it would depend. Simply on how many how many minutes Liverpool would expect them to get mm. as full choice, um, and maybe in a match where he he would say, for example, what what you have got what's up is getting your corner, so Kumatel could easily become third choice, and say for example he he's he's he has to come in against you know in the Champions League match, maybe that's not ideal. So maybe you just throw Fabinho centre back match. Uh, move one of the midfielders to number six. Keep Kumite on the bench. So I think you could you, you could use him because of the versatility of the squad. You could you could use him quite sensibly. I think it, it but it depends how ready he is. But if Liverpool want f- another fourth choice centre back, you know if you're looking on the market and stuff like that, you don't just want to go and throw money at it just because you need a fourth choice centre back. It's not really. Yeah. I mean, how much do you dedicate to, to that player? That's you're not you're not getting anybody really cheap and if you are the chances are they're going to be you know not good enough and you've just you just reeled off an example that you could the pool could be in a champions league game with an injury hit and the players are coming in and you know do a job now we don't know for sure if he could do that job but equally you, you might be bringing you know a 28 year old in that you've had to pay 15 20 million for who you know isn't isn't good enough it just it does seem wise to allocate a budget to do that if you if you have got these kind of budding, developing, exciting talents uh, waiting in the wings. Yeah. It's just about looking at squad solutions. Like, say, for example, we do sign Thiago as that rumours suggest is going to happen. If we sign Thiago, that's one extra midfielder. But that could then... And Thiago's comfortable in the six, by the way. Mm. That could then mean Fabinho becomes the fourth choice centre-back slash Kumiteo, as I've said just then. You know, depending on the opponent, depending on how easy the match is going to be. It's just about little, you know, moving things around in the squad like that, if you, if you can do it. Obviously, the midfielder permit Fabinho to um, sporadically become an extra defender, if, if need be. So, perhaps having a versatile squad. Did, um, just quickly, uh, did um, Kumiteo come through the, the youth system or has he brought anywhere along the way? Do you know? Well, there's, there's a bit of um, a grey area around this, but I think we got him from Leon um, okay. a few years back. In fact, not even not even a few years back. I think it was as as recently as as last year, um, about eighteen months ago, something like that. I think. Okay. But there's there's a question attached to whether we got him directly from Leon or whether he left Leon for something like a six month period allowing him to easily move to Liverpool or something like that. I, you know, mm. there's a few questions around it. Because according to transfer markets, at least, we got him from Orleans under-19s, um, a French club. But apparently a few years, the year before that, he moved from Orleans to Lyon. So 
Mm. I don't know. There's a bit of a mix-up there. I mean, I suppose somewhere along the line he's come from France, hasn't he? Because he's a he's a French. Yeah, national, the, isn't he? for me, the fact he's been at Lyon's academy system suggests he's got a bit of talent. Because Lyon, you know, quite renowned for that sort of thing, aren't they? Bringing through players and developing them, things like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the, the the next the next Liverpool, I think this is certainly an academy graduate, William Brewster, continuing to impress Dave. Um, scored against Stuttgart and scored two against Salzburg without Brewster's goals. Liverpool would have scored a two nil against Salzburg. I'm actually writing about them right now uh, for the Echo. That'll probably be going up later today or tomorrow or, or so. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts on Brewster, Dave? Because I'm assuming you've seen him quite a few times. Yeah, I watched a fair bit. Um, you know, coming through. Uh, I, look, I really like him. I, th- I think he's always looked re- really, really dangerous. Um, he's always seemed to lead the line quite well. Um, What's the thing about him? Come on. You know, in comparison to the kids, hmm. has he always looked a level above? Or has he just been the type to just consistently score goals and take opportunities as opposed to looking a level above your peers? I'll be honest, it's difficult because he I felt like he's been he's been on the radar for a long time. So when I was watching him, he was a player I was looking for. Do you understand? So it, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like I was blind going to see him. Um I don't know. He, he always looked good, don't he always looked really good. I don't know if I was ever thinking he is a hundred percent level above all these players because Liverpool have always had decent academy sides. You know, if you think of players who've played in there. Um, no, Casey Jones, obvious one. Harvey Elliott obviously came in last year and stuff. So, uh, Ryan Kent as well. You know, they, they've always had kind of decent players, and he always felt like he always felt like one of the better players, certainly. But I'm not at all surprised by his success. Um, I don't just mean I get in these friendly games that you know I thought he was phenomenal for Swans, really he had a massive impact. I really in a really tough division, um, and I think he could kind of be a little bit of a wild card for, for Liverpool this year. Yeah, I think he could I mean one of old squad solutions here. Obviously Liverpool failed to land Timo Werner and we've been on the lookout for a you know a, a backup forward sort of thing for, for quite a while. I think there's a question mark as to whether Brewster can play as a wide forward or not. Because if he can't pose a lot better for him than if he has to play through the middle. Because if he has to play through the middle Liverpool's system changes because he's not he doesn't play like Firmino does. He's not inclined to drift off as Firmino does. Um, you know, to provide kind of like a glue in the final third sort of thing. And I think Firmino's a ten. A natural ten produces for me to nine. So it you know, it, it makes things a little bit there. But yeah. Yeah, it's 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 tricky. It it depends how, how clubs perceive him, how clubs view him. But then I suppose one thing you is probably worth flagging is it, it isn't always a bad thing to have a legitimate alternative game plan, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like if you did have to adjust for whatever reason, and we know how efficient Liverpool's setup is as it is now, but if you maybe need more natural kind of focal points of the attack at, at, at number nine. Now, off the top of my head, I'm not. I can't. I'm not sure how I'd picture everything happening around him. But if you just needed that player, he could be that. 
and you know that you pull them in, he'd, he'd probably do a, a really good job at it. So it's maybe not the worst thing having that kind of alternative option, I guess, because that's one thing we've said now, haven't we? Where okay, it's it's normally when we're talking about getting players into the system as it is now that Liverpool struggled, but beyond the, the kind of starting eleven, that there certainly from an attacking point of view, there isn't always those other options, is there? Uh, I do think he potentially gives Liverpool that other option. Yeah, I mean I'll, I'll be honest, I think I think one of the things Klopp's getting out with his quotes, um I think I'll have a little look what he said now. Um but I think he basically wants them to do more than just scoring goals. Um, he said he can learn a lot of things, but as a natural goal scorer, that's what he is. He can be more involved in games, but the decisive moments, he is 100% there. Now, if you read that quote to me and I uh, and didn't tell me who it was about, I would think that was about Divock Origi. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting that Origi has a spec right on the edge of the front three, so I think gets occasional minutes, but Brewster doesn't. Um, I'm curious as to whether it's maybe to do with temper and expectations regarding Brewster not really wanting them to pull the red jersey on in the Premier League for Liverpool until he's really capable to kind of based on the scene as Rashford did or as uh, Mason Greenwood did sort of thing. But um, I, I can't really get me around why, why Origi would be ahead of him considering... Mm-hmm. The, the two types who aren't really that involved in the game, but when it comes to a moment, they are capable of taking it. And Arigi doesn't seem me as, you know, considerably more well suited to a wide forward role than Brewster does. They seem rough. They seem really similar, to be honest. The only difference is that Brewster's six years younger. And I think he's six years younger. And um, probably got one more try at Yeah, I think maybe last year. Um, development was was the priority. You know, the thing with Origi is there's not much more development to happen. You know, they don't really need to. Yeah. He's quite happy, isn't he, to just play this bit part role? Um, whereas, obviously, Brewster, you just said it there, that the ceiling's so high, isn't it, that they obviously want him to keep charging towards that. Uh, I think a, a big low move is important. He got it at Swansea. Um, and I think now he's really confident and he's he's put himself in the picture. Just just on his finishing abilities, Josh, I just want to share this. And I'll, I say share there, I'm not screen sharing anything, just something I had a little look at earlier. Um, but including his, his final few games for Swansea and the, um, the pre-season fixtures, of his last 20 shots, 15 have hit the target, which I just think is... You know, an illustration of someone who's so dangerous and efficient in yeah. front of goal. Yeah, I think when I looked, at it, when I looked into how he was doing at Swansea, um, maybe for the echo at the end of the season, I think since joining Swansea in January, I think his, his shots on target percentage was 50%. I think, can't remember when he attempted something like 45 or something like that, but he is clearly, to be honest, I was speaking to Joe Rimmer before about him, and I think. One of the things I said soon was that, you know, maybe the Premier League 15 years ago, Brewster is your absolute perfect striker sort of thing. Because all the years back, a striker was in place to score the goals, stay in the box, find a net. 
that's it. They don't do anything else, nothing else. And Bruce seems firmly in that mould in terms of just almost drifting a little bit until he's presented with an opening. And then when the opening comes, he'll take it, sort of thing. But I think the, the, the problem with that is Klopp's game being such like a, a total football vibe. You know, all everyone attacks, everyone defends, everyone builds, everyone creates, all that sort of stuff. I think Bruce, I think Klopp just wants Bruce to be able to offer a bit more. Mm-hmm. Say, for example, if Bruce plays, say, for example, if Bruce plays and doesn't score, I think that's the crucial thing. If Brewster plays and doesn't score, Klopp wants it wants him to be in a position whereby he's offering he's not offering nothing. See what I mean? Yeah. So when, when he doesn't find net, when Firmino doesn't find net, for example, think of everything else Firmino offers. I think Klopp wants Brewster to be, you know, to follow that path a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's spot on. I think that's it. You know, in the same way that Liverpool's side can be quite, you know, multifaceted in. in in things like the way they attack and stuff. I think the players are as well. They all offer something more than just the traditional, don't they? Uh, they all have a, a certain versatility uh, in the roles, you know, no matter what they do. And yeah, I think it's a really good point. You know, Brewster, we've just touched on it there, about his shots on target, efficiency in front of goal. I think he, he always looks like a goal scorer. I think some some sides would love to have him just for his goals. But yeah, and, and the way Liverpool does work system-wise, you're right. You know, he, he probably does need to maybe contribute a little bit more to be uh, a real success beyond just someone who they'll throw in to, to get goals when they need them. Uh, and maybe that's the next stage of his development. Yeah, I mean, still just 20 years old. Plenty of time to get here. Well, considering Liverpool are... Uh, Obviously, looking at the squad at the minute, pre-season, bit of a weird transfer window sort of thing. I, I do think that at, at the minute, whether he goes on or not, I think at the minute it'll be right up in the air. I, don't, I, don't, I think it'll be undecided at the minute. Um, depending on whether Liverpool can get someone in, maybe in the mould of like an Ishmael Asar or someone like that. Mm. Um, I'll Bruce continues to do. But I think the word is that if he does go on loan, it'll be to a Premier League club. Or a top flight European club. Um, and, you know, the better he does, the more likely he is to come back and be in season, really. Um, but I think if you if you compare it to the likes of Harry Wilson, who's been sent out on loan for a few years, I think Harry Wilson's been sent on loan to basically increase his value and his publicity almost. Well, I think Bruce is being sent out on loan as a means of developing with a view to eventually staying in Liverpool's squad. Um, yeah, you, just on that, interesting to see where they potentially send them because it'd have to be somewhere that does you know, development, develop him in line with kind of, you know, how Liverpool play really. Um, because there'd be no point going somewhere where he'd just be playing like, um, what's a bad example? Yeah, you no, know, like say in a front two or something. Um, he'd mm. have to be somewhere where he's kind of learning the, the things that he'd, he'd utilise at Liverpool, which then maybe do you make the case that he should stay and be integrated this year? I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's hard, isn't it, really? It's something that probably Klopp and the staff will be weighing up, won't they, and seeing whether game time is more important than trying to get into, used to this side. I just think of, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing the quote a little bit, but I'm pretty sure Guardiola said something along the lines of, um, to do with Foden, Phil Foden. He said, like, you know, 
um, 10 games with Manchester City in the season more valuable than 30 games at another Premier League club. And yes. I don't think that was arrogancy. I think I, I totally understand no, I think he's on, yeah. on that point. Um, so I just wonder whether Liverpool and Bristol would be in the same position. Yeah, to be honest, it, it, it's been a little bit of a surprise, of a surprise that because I think Klopp is of the same belief. Um, Curtis Jones hasn't spent any time on loan. Trent didn't. Uh, no Williams have really. So with, with Brewster, it, it has been something that we've been doing. Uh, obviously, with Swansea and we're looking at it again for, for the upcoming season, maybe. So I suppose it does go against a little bit what the, the traditional approach has been since Klopp came to the club. But um, I can't, I'm not really sure why, to be honest. Maybe it's just the absolute lack of minutes he he sees Bruce again in the mm. front three, considering the Nevis, we want to win the Premier League, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it remains, it remains to be seen. It'd be interesting to see to see his developments in the next few years. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I think in the next few matches, he'll play a part, particularly in the. I think it's the Community Shield now, isn't it? Yeah, it <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, Liverpool face Arsenal, um, who, as I said earlier, have played one friendly so far. In pre-season, Liverpool have played two. So, to be honest, we can't give you much of a preview for this. <laughs> I've got no idea who's going to play for Arsenal. I looked at who they played the other day. They played MK Dons, and you know half, half the team wasn't there. So, I've got no idea how it's going to play out, Keith. But I think mm. we can just maybe provide a bit of context on maybe what we can expect from Arsenal in the upcoming season. Yeah, that's it. It's um, it does feel like it's come around very, very quick for them. Very quick for everyone, but certainly them just playing one one game against NK Dons. At least Liverpool played some stiffer competing in the form of Stuttgart, Salzburg. Um, but yeah, you know Arteta, we we, we saw last year kind of come in and um, he seemed to beyond the analytical side of things and tactics, he just seemed resourceful. For that. You know, a bit of like a feel-good factor, didn't he? Um, he he become quite precise and clear with his philosophy. Um, something that I, I think Emery struggled to really translate to Arsenal, which was part of their downfall. Um, they they seem to stop shipping as many goals. Um, although interestingly, you know, underlying numbers suggest that they probably should have conceded a few more than what they did. So I still think there's work to be done there. But you know, they, they are improving the defence this this summer with like Saliba coming coming in and stuff. Um but yeah, you know, the you can kind of get a feel that how this side's gonna look under it's gonna be you know, side who plays real football, uh, organised and and certainly competitive. Um I think that's what we can probably anticipate. Yeah, I mean, against MK Dons, they actually lost the possession battle. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Sure yeah. Which one the stars are rabbiting on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they saw fifty. Uh, they saw forty-six percent of the ball. MK Dons made about seventy-one more passes, <laughs> which is quite amazing. Doesn't look good. For um, them, what league are MK Dons in now? I'm going to tell you, you know. Um, Looking at Arteta's squad on the day, the squad wasn't great, but the first 11 wasn't actually that bad. 
I've had, I've just had a look now, sorry, to interrupt, but um MK does have the highest ball possession average in League One last year. So, you know, it's it's just their philosophy, mate. So, you know, it's uh, yeah. it's not that bad. <laughs> but yeah, um yeah, it sounds like they still had a few first teams to probably get the result, but you don't know maybe things drifted in the second half with those subs that you've just alluded to then. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think I think Arsenal still seem really far from the end goal sort of thing. But I think that they could they could have a season. Um, obviously integrating Saliba. Um, I think it's is it Gabriel or Gabriel? How do you say? Um, I think it's if they if they sign him, I've been calling Gabriel. Okay, I know we're we're obviously looking Dave, but I think that that that, that would be two um two centre back upgrades immediately. There, two players who are going to be a lot more capable of coping with the demands on the shoulders of the defending. Yards from goal and stuff like that. Obviously, we talk about that quite a bit in reference to Manchester City. So mm-hmm. I think that'd be two two really different centre backs there for them to, to start playing with. Obviously, you're having William as well, who I don't. I would be surprised if William is ready for the um, Community Shield match. I don't think he'd be even on the bench the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think providing he can keep the players fit, specifically the fullbacks, because I think he seems to suffer a lot of injury and. Um, the opposite opposite side better than. Uh, but yeah, I think looking looking at the team, the the, the look it'll be interesting to see how they do this season. I don't, I don't think they'll, you know, be anything special, but see the improvements. Yeah. Yeah, I agree actually. Yeah. I think um it'll be interesting to see if they I know you touched on it there, where they go with that, if they maintain that three at the back, because it seems to work quite well, but I get the feeling that they just brought that in really because um well, they had like the likes of Louise in there and a few others who were just prone to a few mistakes, aren't they? And it feels like, you know, when you have three there, three at the back, you have great control and, you know, it does, there's more cover for any mistakes that do go on. I wonder if they have better defenders next year, whether he might go back to just playing two centre-backs and have more bodies elsewhere. Um, yeah. It'll, it'll be yeah, I think it'll probably depend on, it, depend on the capability of Saliba and Gabriel, I think if the if they're both clearly really really good, mm. I know the both. I know Saliba's a teenager. I think when he when he bought, I'm not sure if he still is now. Mm. Uh, Gabriel, how old how old is he? I think if I remember correctly, he's about twenty three, twenty four. Let me just check. Uh, no, twenty two. So yeah, that would be two. See, they're they're two good age centre backs now, and if yeah. they can start integrating them as a two now, you know you could have your your back two set up there for a number of years. Um, I don't know if you saw, but they actually appointed a set piece specialist. You see that? I didn't see, but I, I watched or saw someone else speaking about it on um, on Twitter. Yeah. yeah, I think they poached from Brentford. Um, mm. And those who have listened to this podcast for quite a while will know that last season we actually spoke about Manchester City poaching a set piece specialist also from Brentford. Uh, so it was quite interesting. I had to do exactly the same a year later in his new job at Arsenal. So whether that could play a part in 
the Commercials final, obviously considering that the standard is not likely to be great. Mm. Maybe it could be the sign of buy a set piece. Maybe he could um, immediately repay the investment by delivering the shield for Arsenal. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so in terms of winning the match, does it matter? <laughs> well, I feel like I should ask you really because you you've got a more emotionally invested interest than me. For it, I'm just quickly like, my opinion is it, it's kind of something that you want to win, but you also don't lose sleep over losing. But I don't know if maybe you feel a little bit different, especially with it being you know obviously Liverpool and they won a few kind of not not dismissive of anything, but they won a few similar you know kind of one-off games, didn't they? Well, one-off um, finals last year with the the Super Cup and then. Like the World Championships was um, two games, wasn't it? But um, I, you're yeah. probably better taking the floor on this. Um, no, I think you're right. I think out of all the trophies you can win in a calendar, this one matters least. Um, the, the Super Cup and the, and the Club Cup have actually meant quite a bit, to be honest. It means World Champions, technically, it means Super Cup, you know, European Champions and all that sort of stuff. But the, the Community Shield doesn't mean a great deal. Um, when you win it, it matters. If you don't win it, it doesn't matter. And you, you do move on pretty quickly. Having said that, with this one being against Arsenal, last year's one was against City. I feel like against Arsenal, we should be winning it. Um, and, you know, in a, in a one-off match against Manchester City, you can lose it. But I feel like if you lose against Arsenal in this one-off match, it just, it just um, won't feel good. And it won't bode particularly well for the upcoming mm. season. More so than last season, it didn't really matter that much. I think we lost to City on pens in the end. Mm. Um, but if you lose to Arsenal, just considering Liverpool finished top of the league, Arsenal finished tenth or something like that, eighth. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't bode that well if you lose. It doesn't feel like great in terms of the morale perspective, maybe and confidence going into the new season, all that sort of stuff. But in terms of who's likely to win. What would you, where would the money be? Liverpool for me. I think beyond having the better squad, um, being the better side, I think, you know, a lack of kind of competitive fixtures for Arsenal is going to be difficult as well. You know, as I said, Liverpool have played only two themselves, but Stuttgart and uh, Salzburg are significantly stiffer challenges than MK Dons. Um, yeah, I should have so, that in as well as that. To believe that the, the Salzburg game obviously ended so well, but I was led to believe that in the morning Liverpool had quite a heavy session, mm. um, just as a means of getting obviously building that fitness thing before pre season sort of thing. So, obviously, if, if you shatter from the morning and you end up playing Salzburg, who, who press like monsters in the afternoon, you can understand the two all result there. But I assume that when it comes to the Charity Shield, Liverpool will have all day for it. Yeah. Plus, they'll just have that better psychological edge, I think. You know, as we've just said, we're not saying this is like a a major trophy, but I think you'll still want to win it, won't you? Um, so, for me, I just can't see past, past Liverpool. I think it should be a... I'm not saying it's going to be easy, because these, these games do tend to be hard to predict. Um, but you asked me where my money is, and I'm going Liverpool. I assume you'll be the same. Yeah, I am the same, yeah. I think Liverpool have got maybe a week or two in advance of, uh, of Arsenal in terms of training. More players already involved with the exception of 
Swansea seems to be seeing when any photos and like that. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd fancy Liverpool to win that match. Um, whether it's through a set piece or through a moment of madness or just lap concentration, certain, you know, it's the second game, second competitive match Arsenal have played this season. So yeah, we'll see. So um, Lionel Messi. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we talking about Lionel Messi there? <laughs> <laughs> because, well, I'd to say somewhat surprisingly, he's forcing a move out of Barcelona, but I don't know. Is I'm not saying I ever anticipated this day coming, but bear in mind, over the last 18 months has gone at Arsenal, Josh, is this that controversial that he just thought, you know I'm what? Assuming, I'm, I'm assuming you mean at Barcelona. You said yes. Arsenal, yeah. Oh, <laughs> did, did I? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that um, yeah, def- <laughs> definitely not Arsenal, and he's definitely not going to Arsenal. Either. <laughs> um, but yeah, just you know, how the last 20, 18 months have gone at, at Barcelona. Um, I'm kind of generally not that shocked at his thoughts. You know, the club's clearly not being run well, it hasn't for a long time, has it, Josh? And then they brought Kuman in, which just seems a, a such a bizarre appointment to kind of get going back to the club hero thing. A lot of other big European sides have done it, but it just screams to me that you don't really have a plan. Um, and maybe he's thought, I've got two years, three years left at most, and I want to go somewhere else. Yeah. I think Thomas, you could probably go right away back to the, the Roma loss when they lost mm. to Roma in the Champions League. I think since then, um, it's just kind of went downhill. Really, yeah. Um, people have said that Liverpool broke Barcelona, sort of thing. When we, when we, obviously we've contributed a lot to it, but I do think that Barcelona was just massively on the decline way before that. Really, mismanagement, terrible recruitment. Um, most of their top earners, their best players, are now well over thirty. I think it's Suarez, PK, um, Messi, obviously. Uh, Artur is a player we're bringing, you know, obviously gonna come back to, to be the next kind of lead the midfield for the next few years sort of thing and to, to sell on him for a 30 year old Pianic. Um to you know, a swap deal sort of thing. Mm. The Alba's thirty two or something like that. It is a mess. You you brought you brought Griezmann in for I, I sort of think I'd said Griezmann's on eight hundred grand a week. Um and I think he's like twenty nine, can barely even play. You got Phil Coutinho there, who the who I think is the second or third most expensive player ever. He's just scored two and assisted one against you a week earlier. It's not getting the It's unbelievable how much of a mess the club is in. And I think Messi has had to reach the point where he's putting his foot down and say, "I'm doing this to instigate change," or he's genuinely leaving, probably as a result of seeing, thinking. You know, I'm not being appreciated. I'm being, I'm, I'm getting the mix taken out of me. Basically, with the club just thinking I'm going to stay, even though everything's a mess. You know what I mean? So, yeah, parts of me, a lot of me, to be honest, I don't blame. I don't blame him for doing what he's doing. Just, uh, just on Barcelona in general. Before we keep uh, talking about Messi, you know, do I've I've been saying for me, they just they're really. Aaron's club actually I'm not saying it's like them I know a lot of people do like Barcelona but I just think you know the way like they don't have it in a, in a contract for example that Coutinho couldn't play against them it's just kind of this 
you know, he's not enough for a he can play against us because it won't matter. And the way they've kind of just gone about the business of just, we're not really going to put any effort into our recruitment, just who's the, who's makes all the headlines, who's the big name, we'll, we'll just throw X amount of money and then we'll just see who we want. And they just feel like there's no football brains there anymore. They're just kind of really arrogant thinking they can, they'll just do whatever, you know, and they'll be successful no matter what happens. And it's kind of, I've kind of enjoyed them getting a little bit of a come almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's maybe too harsh or I don't know if you agree, Josh, but yeah, that's all. Oh, yeah. I am as well, yeah. I think there's a bit of an entitlement there, a sense of entitlement. Um, I do think they, they are deserving of of Evan and that's not really how it works. You get to the top through through good management, really, and through, um, you know, good activity in every in, in department. I think Barca got to the top, and since getting to the top, I think they've just got a little bit lazy, and I think they've just kind of went down the route of persistent, short-term deals to stay at the top. But if you keep papering over the cracks, eventually it's going to fall to bits. To be honest, it's not. It's it's a popular thing to happen. I think when a, when a club gets to the top, they do kind of just think we just have to stay. So just start poaching elite players from like here and there, like Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and Juventus seems to do plenty of bins between them, sort of thing. Mm. To be honest, it's been a little bit of a concern initially when Liverpool were linked with Thiago. Thiago was that, that, that type of player, really, in terms of being a world-class 29-year-old who's maybe either in his peak or past it. That, top club would just sign for a few more years at the top. I don't think that's what Liverpool are doing, but I think it's probably along the lines of what Barcelona has done too much of. Um, you know, who's main Dembele spending 150 million when clearly, in terms of his character, at least he went AWOL at Borussia Dortmund to force through the move. That should have been immediately a red flag before you even sign him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they are just a mess and in terms of he coming to England, probably to, I can't look beyond Chelsea, City and United. What What is he adding to a rival if he, if he did come? You know, this is obviously pure speculation. This is, this is crazy when he can talk about it. But, you know, what does he add to a team, Messi? So, so as those three clubs, I'd say Chelsea's a no, isn't it? Um, for just because I think what they spent already on attackers. Um hmm. I don't think United's an option either. Um so you probably are looking at City. Um I don't know, it's really you know I mean let let's take the obvious that stage. I think he's a you know, he's he's probably the best player ever, you know. Uh unbelievable player, unbelievable dribbler that produces absolute moments of magic that other players sim can't do. He's superstar, biggest player on the world. You know what? What even for a side like Man City, who uh, won multiple Premier Leagues in recent years, arguably one of England's best sides. You know he would catapult that club to a, a whole new level worldwide, wouldn't he? Um, mm, yeah. Oh yeah, and he just bring this kind of he just bring another dimension, I think, to to the way. See the problem I'm having here, which I'll just be brutally honest. I know we've come to it. I just it sounds so crazy to say, but in some ways he's also a difficult player to accommodate because you maybe it's less about um, 
your structure for the eleven, and then you have to kind of accommodate this elite player. Yeah. So I, I, it's just it's just playing on my mind a little bit. But in terms of positives, everything I've just said there, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Can't really say anything that hasn't already been said about him. Um, you know, top top player. Yeah, I mean, it's, if he was added to one of the top six, I think you're looking at about ten to twenty points in a single play. There, I think. Um, Obviously, the higher up the league you go, the less that is. You can't really add 20 points to Manchester City. Yeah. But I agree with what you're saying in terms of he's in those matches where City, the very infrequent matches where City can't find the key to the door, you have a, a ridiculous solution there in, in Lionel Messi, who is clearly a benefit from being able to dominate the ball. Um. Maybe he'll get on board, but the whole pressing approach that 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 Pep Guardiola's you know obsessed with, that I think has gradually, um, kind of disappeared since 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 Guardiola left left the new camp. That's, um, that's just to add on your point, Josh. What I would say is, I, I'm kind of like if I was saying about the one negative I alluded to, then it would maybe that you do kind of have to accommodate this superstar and maybe adjust your tactics, but you know. In the same way we were saying Barcelona's got comfortable, you know, he he's maybe also been comfortable in his role within that side and hasn't really felt he's up yeah. to do anything extra. Perhaps if he did go to Manchester City, not that he'd need to prove anything really, but he may have this, you know, extra desire to contribute in other aspects of the game that he probably may have not been doing it at Barcelona. Yeah, and the word was that. Ronald Koeman had, had walked up to him or spoke to him on the phone or whatever and said, your privileges are over. <laughs> <laughs> Which is um, quite an unbelievable note. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's an unbelievable statement that to say to the best player ever. But I agree with why he's done it. <laughs> Which yeah. is mad. Yeah. I, I, I do think that the days of kind of a common one player and letting him walk around the field while everyone else defends, I do think they're a little bit over. Mm. I think that's that's a lot more of a structured game. We were speaking earlier about Brewster being a striker in the traditional Premier League mould, just standing in the box and putting him on the net. Messi, maybe not that far back, but is a bit in that mould in terms of... Um, being given a free role and being allowed to do basically what he does and being a player who solely comes alive when you've got the ball and when you haven't got the ball he, he's you know you've basically got 10 men mm. so yeah I, I know what you're saying in terms of the downsides of adding them to the squad I, I do think he is he does have to be accommodated and considering the accommodations he require at the age of 33 I think he's 33. And age he's on. Like, is, is it worth such short-term adjustments to, to accommodate, okay, the best player ever, but also a player that got longer, maybe? Yeah, that's it. You just summarised it perfectly for me. And, you know, I think Manchester City can probably do it. You know, they've already got that Guardiola connection. Um I think that existing relationship would be positive. Um, that that's the only real destination for me, City. Um, I think that that deal could work. 
and they've got so much money that they could afford to pay his wages without it destroying them financially. Yeah. Um, I also get, it did a lot for them in the commercial side. Yeah. Same of getting fans, like so many fans are just fans of players now rather than fans of clubs. Jens mm. has got so many more followers when they got Ronaldo in the club. Mm. So I think from City's perspective, wanting to become this elite, you know, move to the elite table of European football, getting Lionel Messi, you know, it, it would do a lot for them on that mm. side of the game. And, you know, but maybe overlook how good player is so i'm going to read off his numbers here we uh, go <laughs> it's, it's just daft it's, it's crazy so in the past six years in la liga only his goals um starting this season and then going backwards 25 36 34 37 26 43 and assists Going this season backwards, 20, 13, 12, 9, 16, 18. So on the goal side, you have a total of 201. And on the assist side, you have a total of 88. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it is insane, isn't it? It's absolutely insane. I'm trying to check now. If, if I'm right in saying, aren't I? Yeah, Algeria is still the all-time Premier League top goal scorer with uh, <laughs> 260 yeah. goals. And that yeah. was in, it was well over 10 years, wasn't it? And your, yeah. your real, was it five or six years there? That was six seasons that six. year. So in four seasons fewer, he's about what maybe, what was it, something like 40 goals off that, 50 goals or something? Yeah, like yeah, about 50 goals off it maybe. Yeah. So you think like you'd only need maybe twelve goals. It's just you need maybe twelve goals a season from here on out in that same time, which you know you're back to do all day. It shows how insane his numbers are. Of course, he's already. I don't have a top me yet, but I know he's already destroyed it. I figure two sixty hasn't he in the in La Liga over the years. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, we're yeah. just talking about the last five or six years. Yeah, like those six years. This is just going to understand. But the, yeah. those six years don't even include his time under Guardiola, um, which is obviously scary. In fact, I'm going to get them up now just to have a look at them. But yeah. in terms of his shot numbers over the six-year period that I've just used, he averages, this is over six years, he averages 5.4 shots per 90. Um, and in terms of shot assists, so providing shot for others, he averages... 2.6 per 90. So you've got a player there who's taken 5.4 shots himself every match while also providing about three shots for others per match. So on his own, he's adding about eight shots <laughs> per game, you know, minimum really. Yeah, just uh, one, one, one single player is basically creating or taking eight shots per game. That's, that's, that's mad. Yeah, so I'll go before the six year period now. So this is from 2013-14 and then backwards. So 28 goals, 46, 50, 31, 34, 23. And then we get into the teenage version and see where he's got 10, 14, 6. Um, but yeah, at one point, one specific season, he scored 50 goals. 
and assisted 16. It's just crazy. The year after that, as I said, 40 goals and that season he got 11 assists. Yeah. In the year before his 50-goal season, he scored 31, but he assisted 19. He's just... Insane. The, the, the definition of an output merchant. Um, it's, it's his sixth league hat-trick. <laughs> and you think about it, like, to, to players, you, you know, one hat-trick is kind of like a career standout. So you're talking top players, aren't you? Every now and again, you, they might get a handful, but 36 hat-tricks is mad. I know people like yeah. to be dismissive of La Liga, but you'd anticipate it. in many ways it is as competitive as the Premier League. It might be a different style of, of uh, division, of course, but it's it's certainly up there with with the Premier League in terms of competition. And to, to score that, I've just checked now, Josh, I think it's 4-4-4. He scored the league goals. So yeah. if you think Shearer's record is 260 in the Premier League and he's on 4-4-4 and he's not retired, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. It, it also, as well, considering this is obviously an analytics show, um, in terms of expect goals, we obviously talk about what it means, expected goals, underperformance, overperformance, sort of thing. Um, so any player that overperforms his XG is commonly defined like, you know, he's an above average finisher. When it comes to fishing shots and finding the net with shots, He's above average. So Messi, over the course, again, of the past six seasons, this is according to Understat, he's overperformed his XG by about 35 goals. Um, that's over a six-season sample. Um, overperformed last season by seven. Then he actually underperformed by, I think that's one, can't really see it. Season before that, though, he underperformed by 10, 5, 10, 4. So he's clearly, in addition to being ridiculous, he's clearly an above average finisher as well. And it comes to being presented with shots and finishing them from mad angles and all that sort of stuff, whatever you want. Mm. Just, um, he's the best player ever, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh... I I getting into that debate because I do really like Ronaldo and I think maybe the difference between those two players, I mean, we're definitely not going to open this can of worms not this debate because more <laughs> debate ever. What I will say is I always felt like Ronaldo, whilst an unbelievable player, I don't believe he was born with the talent that Messi was. I just think Ronaldo works so hard to, to get into that combination and to be there and to post his crazy numbers. Um... Whereas I think Messi is just not. Of course, he worked hard, no doubt about it. But I feel like he was just born the better player. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it, you know, as I said, I'm not getting into the debate. Messi is just being on, on another planet, really. Um, and some play. So you know, purely from a football point of view, I'd like to see him in in the Premier League. I wouldn't lose any sleep if it went to Manchester City because I think he. You know, he'd fit quite well there, but maybe from a Liverpool point of view, and I don't know where you stand on it, Josh. You probably maybe wouldn't want that to happen. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm I'm right on your side and saying I would love to see him in England. Really yeah. love to see him in England to watch him every week, for him to consistently be on match of the day, to see from an analytical perspective how his game is impacted by not only playing differently playing for a different team mm. it would just be so interesting i'd love to see it but 
from a Liverpool perspective, Lionel Messi joining Manchester City is Manchester City buying the league. It's it it's it would be extremely hard for Liverpool to win the league against not only the Manchester City side that we're currently facing, but that team plus Lionel Messi. It's just daft. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm absolutely torn there. A lot of Liverpool fans, die-hard Liverpool fans, I assume, would be, no, I don't, don't want it to happen, sort of thing. There's a huge part of me that would like to see it happen. Mm. But from a competitive standpoint, obviously, it's it, it does kind of um, push the needle even further towards the City monopoly, sort of thing. You think, you think of most City matches, they are a non-contest. Mm. And every now and then, when they do face a bit of a contest, that's probably going to happen even less if you've got Messi in your team. But I suppose, having said that, you know, we mentioned that he's a bit of a passenger on the defensive side. So, you know, there's, there's two two ways looking at that. So, from an analytical perspective, which is what the show's about, it would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, just, but I don't just can't see him coming to Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should probably reel it out. Uh, that just it doesn't work on any level, does it financially or? You know, no. for the reasons we've said, Liverpool are a unit that can't really carry anyone. Um, I do think just before we do wrap up that that's the only sad thing about Messi, really. You know, I feel like we got to watch Ronaldo, for example, every week. Okay, Liverpool fans wouldn't enjoy it because it was at United, but you you, you got to watch him. Whereas Messi, yeah, you you seen him on the Champions League or the odd La Liga game, but I know personally, I I watched them week in week at any point really. Um, no. So it's it, it always feels like you're always playing catch up, watching highlights, or as I said, watching the the Champions League game. But it would really just nice to see a player like that every single week. Um, yeah, in the Premier League. Yeah, just just considering the stylistic nature of the Premier League, that a little bit more direct, a bit more physical. Um, the weather, the weather's a massive impact on on, on English football, and Messi's had to deal with, you know, largely. 20 degrees some for, for, mm. for basically a decade so it would be really really interesting to say i'd love to see it but i also wouldn't like to see it so it's a, it's a difficult one um remains to be seen whether it'll happen god knows if it does we may go into further detail about it because it's obviously a massive impact on the whole, whole season uh, but we'll, we'll wrap up there i think um next week i am actually off first week off in a while so I'm not sure what's going to happen with the pod. I'm not sure whether Dave's going to head it up himself or there's going to be a week off or, or what. Um, <laughs> but hopefully, I mean, just knowing my luck, Liverpool will sign Messi on that week. We'll get in on all these, mate. Yeah, but they'll probably be still on the odd sweet house. Dave will also be certainly heading the, um, the Analyzing Anfield newsletter for the week. That'll be his first edition. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent one on Monday, I think, for those who have signed up. And it was just titled, What Does Genie Wine Album Do? And it was just, you know, a bit of an insight into that because he's kind of the the main sort of compliment alongside Thiago because, you know, a bit of a conflict there. So if you haven't signed up, again, what are you playing at? Go and sign up. <laughs> um, find my Twitter at Distance Cover to do it. And Dave, I'm not sure if you want a quick plug of, of Analytic 5. Yeah, yeah, it's um, 
appreciate the support so far. Obviously, we talked about it a couple of times. I'll keep it brief because um, I can't I can't sell it the way Josh did there. And um, he is what he's playing at. But it's, uh, it's in my Twitter bio and it's, you know, very analytical, very tactical, daily newsletter, not too long, just little bites, um, not just on Liverpool, on many other sides. So I want to keep your finger on the pulse in terms of what's going on in football. Uh, it's completely free. Sign up. Only need your email. No name, address, nothing like that. And uh, we'll, me and Josh, we work on that and we'll send something really. Yeah, I just well, recently actually on um, Kenny Baker Senior. So, you know, obviously from a Liverpool perspective, that's relevant. That was on um, why nobody wants Phil Coutinho, basically, <laughs> uh, from a perspective. And, you know, trying to bring a few little points together to, to capture why he's uh, such a difficult player to buy at the minute. But yeah, we will we will round up there anyway. So I will be back unless something mad happens at the end of the week and we have to record an emergency show. <laughs> I will be probably in about two weeks. Um, but yeah, sign up to the newsletters and Dave, thanks for joining us. Cheers, everyone. And yeah, we will be back soon. Thanks. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.